Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. On April the 26th, 2015, Coolidge, Arizona. The place where God lives. One month out of the year. <laughs> Welcome to everybody. Welcome on board. We'll do what we can to either make you sad, mad, or glad. We always have an objective, and it fits into one of those three. <clears throat> and we usually see all three emotions expressed from the class as a whole. And often over the same point. <laughs> That's good. All right, well, we're in Acts chapter 2, and we have uh, we'll, just a little bit of background here, beginning in verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens. So who is speaking at this point? Peter is speaking. <clears throat> Peter is speaking. He's standing up with the 11. He is the spokesman at this point. And he is quoting David, and he quotes prophecy and gives us the point of prophecy that makes a difference. He doesn't go into all the fine details that we like to go into because we use that to justify having a wrong opinion. <laughs> so he hits the, 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 uh, the thread of thought of the prophecy. And remember, that's what prophecy is in symbols for, is so that you pick up on the thread of thought and have an emotional uh, response from it. That's why we have it in code language. You mentioned to me last week that they, that, that prophetic language also restricts the people who are outside of it, from not picking up on <clears throat> And that's true. Alex has made a good point. Symbolic language that David is quoting from Joel here, as well as from um, David, uh, is uh, restricted to those people who knew, it's to those people to whom it was addressed at the time it was addressed. And it kind of keeps everybody from on the outside from knowing what's going on. Remember that God works with his people, and his prophets are sent to his people, not to the world at large generally. There are some exceptions. <clears throat> now, so David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, and that's Jehovah unto, unto my Lord, or Jesus, you sit on my right hand, and then uh, that answers the question as to where he's going to be on the throne of David, on the right hand of God, and for how long until he makes his foes into his footstool. And then we've discussed all of those factors. Then, therefore, verse 36, now we get down to the punchline. Remember this background. <clears throat> First of all, 
it was given to Peter that, Peter, you are going to have the keys to the kingdom. Now, don't forget that. And then in Luke 24, 47, it says that the forgiveness of sin is going to begin where? All right, now think with me. Who's speaking here? Peter. Peter is speaking. What has been promised to him that he would get have the keys to the kingdom and where are they? Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? The beginning of the forgiveness process. Now, anyone then who goes back to John the Baptist to find out what they must do today to be saved and be forgiven of their sin is going to the wrong source. Now, John the Baptist had his purpose, but he was not the source of our forgiveness today. Where did that begin? Jerusalem. And there, that's where they are. Oh, you've got it up there. And that repentance for forgiveness, that is the alignment, the metronome for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his character to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now you need to think about that. So everything is being tied together, and that's why we say that of all the things God has done, including creation, including our universe, what's happened right now is the purpose for everything, including the Messiah. This is the purpose for which it all happened. That ought to move you. From Coolidge to Phoenix. But it ought to be an energizing thing to realize that right here in Acts chapter 2, we are getting the answer to the greatest thing that God has ever done. And I know I've said that every week. Do you think it's worth mentioning here that, that the... The original covenant did not have any provision for the forgiveness of sin. That's right. It, it covered the sin, but it didn't forgive it. You cannot be in God's presence unless you have no sin. You can't have any. And so that's what Christ was all about, is wiping away all of your sins. Okay. And these people that lived up until that time still had their sins. But under the law, if they met the provisions of the law, then they were judged according to the provision under which they live. But we're not under that covenant. So what happened to them? And, of course, the judge, the, the general judgment that the Bible speaks about is what took place after the rapture of the apostles to the twelve thrones where they were to judge the 12 tribes of Israel at the Perusia or at that presence of Christ in, in um, AD 70 or the fall of Jerusalem 
prior to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. That was the final blow against Judaism. That ended it. So Jesus gave to Peter something that gave him an attachment into the future, and that attachment was that he was going to have the keys. He was going to give us those keys when they were all in Jerusalem, and the key had to do with the forgiveness of sin, as Ted has mentioned. It is worthwhile to mention that now. So, in verse 36, uh, we've already established 34 and 35, so we don't need to review that. But therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. There is no doubt. There ought to be no doubt that God hath made that same Jesus the very one whom you crucified, that the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made what? Both Lord and Christ and that over everything. David, the definition of Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, God's appointment, Okay. That's why when, how many of you ever signed a check? You got a checkbook, take it out right now, write my name in and sign it. But when is it valid? No, no, you got to have something else. What does you have to, what does it have to have? It's got to have a date. And as soon as you put that date in, you are acknowledging this fact. We're in 2015 in the year of our Lord. Because at that point, it changed from a civil calendar to a spiritual calendar, and all the kingdoms of the world have been brought under the Lord and Christ of God's appointment, and we keep trying to avoid that. Don't you, Alex? Oh, I try. You try. (laughs) We don't know. See... We don't spend our time developing the the right answer or the right things that we need to be doing to perpetuate what happens right here. This was the full the fullness of time where everything came into fruition right here, folks. That's just the way it is. David, in other words, in saying that. The Lord in Christ is saying that he is an anointed ruler. He is an absolute authority over heaven and earth. Well, now I got it because you brought it up. It's your fault, not mine. No, no, go to Daniel again. If you're in the Thursday night class, this will be somewhat redundant. But if you're not, even if you are, redundancy has its merit. You know, we never really get anything that we've heard it, what, seven times, I think, and then we only get like 10% of it. What's happening here is what was prophesied by Daniel for this time. 
I kept looking at verse, verse 13, Daniel 7, 13. Oh, let's, let's, uh, we, let's go right over to uh, uh, verse 26. No, let's go back to verse 13. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't want to jump too far ahead. You don't want to pull something. Yeah, I don't want to have to go back and do it later. So <clears throat> the court sat in verse 10, and the books were opened. We understand that. And, of course, that's referring to where we are in Revelation chapter 10. We're in 12 now, but that was all discussed in, in 10 and 11. So verse 13, I kept looking at the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days. And he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion. Now that was promised. All authority hath been given to me on heaven and on earth. All dominion, glory, and a kingdom, all. And that kingdom was prophesied as having its keys granted to whom? So the keys give you and allow you entrance. You try to get into this building without a key, you'll get shot. Is that sign still out here on the board, out on the door? You took that down? Oh, you painted over it? There used to be a sign on this door that said, if you break into this place, you will be looking into the barrel of a 44 Magnum. <laughs> that was before it turned into a cannon. All right. So if you have a key... I mean, the, the purpose of a key is obvious. You know, that's why that word is used there. It means the means of entering. And what we're entering is that realm of forgiveness that we have to enter into. And Peter's going to give us how we do that today. We won't have to wait till next week, maybe. <laughs> I always want to qualify any promises here. So, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, and that's, we've already experienced that in chapter 2, haven't we? And what was their evidence is that they all heard what was spoken from every language on earth. They all heard what was spoken, how? In their own language. You folks are getting this thing down. Boy, you're, you're a threat to the Bible college system. And that men of every language might serve him, his do and might serve him doesn't mean they all will, but it's going to be available to everyone because when Christ died, he died for all of mankind potentially. efficiently as those persons come and respond to him. <clears throat> and that changes the course of everything. So his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And it will not pass away. And that word will not pass away has to be added because there is no word for everlasting in the Hebrew or in the Greek. 
This will blow your mind if you've got one. In John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal torment. I didn't think you were listening. But the emphasis there is on the word eternal. There is no such word as eternal. It's the word ionos. Ionos means what goes on between two points. So the word forever, the word eternal, the word everlasting, all of those words all come from the same Greek word ionos and its variable forms. And it always means, and sometimes it's translated age, which is the proper definition of the word ionos, It simply means what goes on between two points, no matter how far those two points are apart. So when the Bible says this is going to go forever, what does it mean with that definition? The what? For that particular period. That's right. And so those who make a play on that word who don't know what they're talking about build a whole theology such as the worldwide on forever and forever and forever. And, and then the Calvinistic side of things uh, that the promise to Israel was forever and ever and ever, but it wasn't. Well, it was but realizing that with as long as there was a covenant with Israel, but once that covenant was with Israel was terminated, then everything that was related to that covenant was terminated with it, including the land promise. And Nehemiah, who, which was the last book uh, on that subject in, of the history of Israel, he said that all the promises of God have been fulfilled regarding Israel. Now, how many does that leave left? It's interesting that one of the things that I think uh, makes that a little clearer to understand is when you realize that the concept of infinity, which is something that we deal with all the time, science are always talking about how infinitely large the universe is and all this other stuff. The concept of infinity really didn't come about until almost 1,000 A.D., the Muslim mathematicians, they were the first ones to really pin down infinity as far as uh, as a function is concerned. Actually, it's very interesting. Ask me to explain why there's no word for that. And there isn't. So the way they have to deal with it is that they say forever and ever. They have to add to it well, if forever means with infinity, why would you have to add to that word? You don't. I don't think the mind can grasp it. You can't grasp infinity. Infinity. It's not, not, there, not very easy to do, no. And you really can't get the full concept of it because every time you think of it as an infinitely large, then you have to think of it as add one more to that number. <laughs> So here, what's he do, uh, which he says, how he adds to that. His dominion is an everlasting, he uses the word ionos in the Septuagint, a dominion, but 
how, how does he extend it past the definition of the term? By adding what? Will not pass away. Will not pass away. See, the, the, if he means something that goes beyond the second point, they have to add something. See that? So whenever you hear the word forever again, remember it means for as ever uh, in some time frame. Because that's how we think. We think in a finite way, and so I guess that's why there's no word for the infinite. And so in order to give us that idea of infiniteness, he has to add something to it to break through that second point of forever or the age. Okay, so will not pass away, and we know we all know that by now. But and his kingdom is one uh, with, which will not be destroyed. Civil government cannot destroy the Lord's kingdom. It is not subject to the force of the Lord's kingdom. No government, no matter how evil it is, is not capable of destroying the Lord's kingdom, folks. That's the kingdom that I want to be a part of. Huh? Amen. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but remember that whatever it is they're doing, they're pulling the dirt out of the fabric that allows us to be pure. Remember that everything that man can do in the attempt to destroy the kingdom is either in a direct attempt to destroy the kingdom or evil self-destroys. Destroy, evil powers destroy other evil powers. What's the phrase? There's a phrase there. Um, evil destroys evil if you let it. Evil will always destroy evil. There's another way of saying that. But you see, what's happening is that the very fabric of Christianity has been so polluted and defiled today, and all of these battles going on in the world are purifying the church right now as we sit here. Now, for my illustrations may not be valid, and you may want to take exception to them, but look, look at what the Muslims are doing, how they are purifying the church. They're not affecting us any, but the main thrust of them, and I'm, I'm not talking about radicalism necessarily, but, but the Muslim faith, which is a false faith, right? False faith. But one thing they have been doing ever since 1000 A.D. is to try to purify the church of the idea of polygon uh, of, of uh, polytheism of the trinitarian thing of course their trinitarian thinking was not the same uh, as we look at it because they included mary in that trinity uh, but it's still the idea of multiple gods that have equal place and so they're being a threat to those people and the people today who are being threatened by that are rising up in arms and wanting to go over there and bomb those people, not because of what they're doing over there in Syria or Libya or somewhere else, but because 
They are affecting the idea of a Trinitarian doctrine. See, we don't buy that anyway. That's not biblical. So they're purifying, and the mass of the Protestant world is caught up in that. So that, that evil, uh, that poison is being extracted by an enemy. Yeah, it doesn't make him any less an enemy, but they are being used, in my opinion. You can argue that. Well, you won't twice. But they, they are being used to pull out, to suck the venom, the poisonous out of pure Christianity. And you can look at all the issues that are going on in the world today. And every one of them, no matter how serious and how many lives are being killed, they all have an effect. And if we look at them properly, they are always all devenomizing the thing that has hindered the church. David? Think about that. You might you might say that that uh, ISIS is far less a threat than what the Seven Hundred Club is. So you want an A? Yeah, I we know who ISIS is. Yeah. You know, but but the Seven Hundred Club is sitting here looking for Jesus to come to get that kingdom set up and and. Rule over ISIS, you know. I mean, they're 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 corrupting the word so badly, right. and, and and ISIS isn't corrupting the word. You know, yeah, they're going out and killing. You know, they, they, they've done a lot of genocide uh, lately. From what I've heard, they've been killing a lot of Christians, but they're they're killing far more Muslims than they are Christians. So, you know, the news is is not telling you everything. It's just, it just nuts, you know. Well, and also, Michael, you're right on base, is that how they, they're, they're saying all of that thing in relation to their definition of Christian, which does not correlate with the Bible's definition of Christian at all. So they're really not over there killing any Christians. The Christians are being preserved. How come? And you know why we, we are so against Syria? Because Syria is the country that has preserved the original documents that we have in our hand for 2,000 years. And they don't like that. And the same thing is true with Israel. The reason they don't like Israel, on one hand, is because they represent a history that cannot be denied. And as long as Israel is in existence, then, of course, there has to be some merit to the Bible. On the other hand, what Israel is doing is conveying to the world that the promises that God had for them are null and void because nothing is happening the way they had anticipated it to happen. So no matter how you look at it, Everything is benefiting the kingdom that's happening today, and I say carry on. 
if you stop it, you're, 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 you're damaging the progress of what can happen to the church. I think the church is on the threshold of the greatest age it has ever been. I'm not just an optimist. I think I'm a, a, a practicist in that I believe it is practical and I believe that it's real, that the church in the situation of faith is victorious and it cannot be destroyed. Look at verse 26. Of the, and we're still in Daniel chapter 7 and we've got to get back to Acts. But the court will sit for judgment. And of course, we discussed that. And the two witnesses were whom? Elijah and, Elijah and Moses were called in to testify what they had said against Israel. And they came to the court, showed up, and gave their testimony. And then um, the judgment was made. Verse 26, And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. That is, those of the um, the little horn talked about earlier in this chapter. Then the sovereign, now verse 27, then when, um, um, was it to the, the little horn was Vespasian? When he goes down at the court, then that's one of the rulers of Rome, he was the little, the little horn. Then the sovereignty, then, when he falls, when he is taken away, annihilated and destroyed, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole world, under the whole heaven, will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His, and so this took place in 70 AD, thereabout, and will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. And then Daniel, it says his face grew pale and kept the matter to himself. Revelation is the exposure of that again, and then the fulfillment of what Daniel is talking about. All right. So it all ties together. Let's go back to Acts. So you have crucified the supreme authority, that's what the word kurios means, and Christ, that means the anointed one, which is the word for Messiah. Now, verse 37, now when they heard this, the hearing of that cleared their vision. Many things restrict a clear vision of God and his purpose. The restrictions must be cleared. And what Peter has said to those in his audience at that time gave to them a clear vision. They understood and they were pricked in their heart. That means they were conscious struck. People today can hear that word of Peter and not even bat a middle eye. 
They don't get it. And most of the time, it's because they've just gone through it too fast. Hopefully, we're never accused of that. (laughs) Don't worry about that. (laughs) Oh, hey, by the way, um, we will not be on the air next two weeks at least. So just remember that, folks. Hang in, hang in, hang in. Be back and find out in three years, uh, three months, not three years, three three Sundays from now, come back and see if we're on board. We should be. I don't, I don't know the answer to that for sure, but for the next two weeks, uh, we will not be on the air. And the air will t- probably turn blue on you. Yeah. So, okay. So they, they were they were struck. They do not understand what sin has done to their relationship with God. Part of that is because they do not understand the nature and the character of God and that we are, to, we are made capable of being holy as God is holy. We fail. We miss the mark. And the word sin means to miss the mark. The mark is the purpose that God has for life. When we are living our life outside of his purpose for life, not of any one individual. God doesn't have one purpose for you and one purpose for me. He has one overriding purpose. God is not a micromanager of life. God could have. God is sovereign. But God exercises restraint in his sovereignty. And he has made us in his likeness, and he has made us sovereign. And the reason we know that he has made us a sovereign human being is because he has given us a law to give us boundaries to our sovereignty. Otherwise, we would have no need for law of any kind. We would not have any need for the gospel. We would have no need for the laws of Christ and the apostles. No need for that. But they establish the boundaries of our sovereignty. I can kill anybody. You can try. Well, I could try. <laughs> I have I have the capability. But I'm restrained as God restrains himself in the exercise of his sovereignty. We have to restrain our exercise of our finite sovereignty. That's the purpose of law. That sovereignty means that you're sovereign over yourself, not somebody else. Oh, that's right. We have a self. It's um, in I think it's in uh, Romans fourteen twelve says something like this: um, um, Every man shall give an account of himself before God. You will not stand before God and have to give an accounting of me. See, that's the difference between the church and the political realm. 
is the political realm is always focused on what somebody else is doing and what somebody else is doing to you. Society. Yeah. But Christianity is, it doesn't make any difference what's going on out there. Here is how I can respond to it. Here, Here is the realm of my sovereignty. Here is what God holds me responsible to. Did you find that or not? Was I? Was yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, that's all right. You don't have to look it up. I think it was in uh, Romans fourteen twelve, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, there it is. So then, let each one of us, each one of us. That's not the group. Each one in the group shall give an account of himself to God. Now go to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. I have no idea, but I think it's verse 28. <clears throat> Isn't he fast? Yes, we love Alan. Uh, go to verse 27. Go to verse... Oh, yeah, there it is, 27. So you take, you take Romans 14, 12, and add it to this then... Romans, uh, or Hebrews, um, um, what are we, uh, 9.27, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes what? Judgments. That gives us the time factor of what Romans 14.12 gives to us, is the individual responsibility. This gives us the time factor. No one verse contains all that the Bible has for you, but every verse, uh, but but the whole picture never has less than what is any single what, as is is in any single verse. I get it right. David, yes, you're not responsible for your fellow man, except that you're responsible to yourself. To do what is right by your fellow man. That is, help him if you can. Let him live his life. In the, New, in the New Testament, there's a little twist to that. And that is that, <clears throat> and that's generally true, but specifically it is that we are to all of those things that are horizontally related pertain to those within the body. Those who are outside the body, what does it say for us to do? It says, leave them alone, let God deal with that, because if you start dealing with it, you're interfering with what God wants to do. No, baby, you alone. Well, if they don't, then we have the provisions on how we respond to that. Yeah. Yeah, we, and you know, in Hebrews it talks about men, they had their houses taken away from them, and he said, wow, you people are really honorable there because you're taking it in the right way, you know. I don't want my house taken away from me. But if that happens, then as a Christian, you know how to deal with it. And you will have peace all the time, no matter what. Peace is not subject and cannot be provided by civil government. All right, let's go on. We're almost out of time here, folks. It's your fault. <clears throat> So Peter said to the, in verse 37, the latter part of verse 37, these people, when they heard that, responded to it. 
you know. One of the problems that Jesus had with the, his audience, he said, you know, you hear music, but you don't dance. You've got no response. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah, he did. You hear the flute, and it doesn't cause any, any response in you. And so, so many people of our time, right today, can hear something like this and they should be sweating blood. Now we're only sweating because it's too warm. So these people reacted. They, they heard what was said. They were convicted. And, and they said to Peter, because he was the spokesman, he was the one who had the keys. They didn't ask Napoleon nor Nero. Long gone. But they asked Peter. That's a good place to start, folks, when people have a conviction that they need to do something about the condition of their life you need to be able to correlate your answer with what Peter said. And we were watching a film on Tuesday night, uh, on the Tuesday night class. That's Tuesday night material up there. <clears throat> the Tuesday night scholars, we are critiquing a film. Excellent film in some ways, tragic in other ways. And it's called... God is not dead. Great film, worthwhile watching. But they answer the question that is being asked here, that is going to be asked, entirely a different place. It does not align with what Peter said at all. I don't know about the version. The, I mean the movie, this relatively new movie. Yeah. It's relatively new. Yeah. And we're we're uh, we're spending four weeks to critique that. Yeah. Yeah, they're wrong on some things, but you know, it, but the freedom that we have in Christ is truth is truth no matter where you find it. And the the stronger the truth, the more we appreciate it. But at the same time, when they deal with salvation, they are entirely one hundred percent evil. If you don't know that, people get led astray. And we're talking about things that uh, uh, the, the reason that... Oh, I don't want to go there. Let, let's, let's finish up. Yeah, you know, get me started on that and our time is gone. And we're right back to where we ended last week. Isn't that amazing? We're making progress. Yeah, at least today we're, we're back to where we ended last week. We haven't gone backwards a whole lot because... When, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, see, they were asking the right people. And if you want to have this same question answered the right way, ask the right people. Don't ask the Calvinist or the Arminian. Ask the apostles. What 
shall we do? And today the answer will be, well, you really don't have to do anything at all. Yeah, just say this prayer. And invite Jesus in. Everything but what is said in the Bible is told people today. Folks, if you've heard that, get it out of your head because you cannot be saved unless you're saved from obeying the words that were spoken of by the man who had the keys to forgiveness, and that was Peter. If it does not agree with what he's going to tell us, then it's wrong. I don't care how you were brought up. When we were, our you know heritage way back was um, a Methodist. They did not believe this at all. They did not like this chapter in the Bible. They believed good conduct. And I went to a Methodist seminary, Western Evangelical Seminary in Jennings Lodge out of Portland, Oregon. And uh, you know, they didn't like this. Mike, uh, Mike had um, a, a, one of my ending thesis in Greek. Uh, Mike had it for a long time. He gave it back to me, and I don't know what I did with it. Um, but it, you know, was related to First First Corinthians 13 as well as this context as well. And I wish I could find it. I don't have the energy to go back and redo it again. But um, remember that, Mike? Yeah, I think so. That's the one you got an A and he just didn't agree with you. <laughs> oh, you got it. You got it. Yeah, he wrote a great big A on it, but he said, so what? <laughs> that was uh, uh, that was Dr. Vermillion. He was a phenomenal teacher, but there was no argument. And uh, Mike, I'm glad you remember that. Uh, that's exonerating. Uh, so he gave me an A in the term paper, but he made the comments. So what? Because it was a direct um, um, confrontation with what they had been you know, what they teach there as in their theology. So that's a way of bypassing it, isn't it? Just shrug it off. Yeah. So what? It works for me all the time. It works for you. Yeah, so what? Or what's the difference? You ever hear that recently? Hillary. Yeah, move on. What's the difference? Four people died, so what? What's the difference? Okay, folks, the answer to this will be held until... but. You can go ahead and read it, and then when you read it, do what it says if you need to do it. But in the meantime, uh, we'll, we have a, a powerful place to plug into uh, verse 38 um, the next time we meet again. Goodbye, folks. Let's, prow- uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, may the truth of your word penetrate into our minds and from it to our hearts that evoke to us an emotional response that we'll get up and do the right thing. We thank you for these wonderful folks gathered together today and for those who are on board through the airwaves. Uh, May it be uh, a blessing to everyone. In Christ we pray. Amen. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.